The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Christina Campbell. She's an associate professor in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition at Iowa State University in Ames, where her research has focused on the impact of dietary and exercise habits during pregnancy on disease prevention. She teaches courses in medical nutrition therapy, reducing consumer food waste, and introduction to the U.S. food system. However, Dr. Campbell also has a unique interest and research focus on the intersection of food and peace, which will largely be the focus of our conversation today. In fact, Dr. Campbell is the co-organizer of this year's annual Peace and Justice Studies Association's annual conference. It takes place September 15th through 17th in Ames, and I will provide a link to that organization if anyone wants to learn more. Dr. Campbell holds a bachelor's degree in physical education from the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington, and both a master's in exercise physiology and a PhD in nutrition science from Washington State University in Pullman. Welcome, Christina. Hi, Melinda. Well, I am so happy to speak with you today because I don't know much about how food and peace intersect. But there was a paper in the July 2023 issue of the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in which you explored dietitians' perceptions of the relationship between food and peace in the United States food system. And I thought this isn't just about dietitians or nutritionists. This is really about global attitudes about food systems and how they intersect with peace and resilience and justice. So I thought I'd have you on as a guest to explore these topics. Why don't we start out with a simple question, and that is, how do you see the relationship between food and peace? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's one that certainly I've pondered for a long time. I think it's important first to go back and really talk about what is peace? And in that study that you mentioned, that was really our first question that we asked people. Because I think if people listening today were to ask themselves, what is peace? Or how do I define peace? We use that word very casually, as if everybody knows what it means. And we have some emotions that we might attach to it. But yet, when you get down to having to put words to define or describe it, it's like, oh, I I never really thought about that before. So in that paper, we ask people at the very beginning, what's one word that you would use to describe peace as a way to enter into that conversation? Then we elaborate and tell them what we're using as an operating definition of peace And that's the Earth Charter definition. And this is sort of paraphrased, but it's the one that I'm using now. 
when I talk to people about peace and it's cultivating right and just relationships with self, others, and the earth. So if we take that definition and then we think about that in the context of food, it then becomes about relationship. And so what's my personal relationship self with food? What are my attitudes, my habits, my beliefs, my values? What is that relationship that I have with food? And then others. And so that relationship with others in the context of food. So that could be in your family. It could be social with friends, could be in your community. And then with the earth, it's about the food that we eat and where is that coming from? How is that food grown? How is that supporting or not supporting the earth's or the planet's health? So that's really what we're talking about is this intersection between food and peace defined as relationship with self, others, and the earth. When I think of the opposite of peace, I would think of violence. So if we talk about food in relationship to violence, I think there's a lot of violence in our food system. Yeah, exactly. So to back up even a little bit more, there's an actual academic discipline, peace studies. And in peace studies, peace is then often defined as the absence of conflict and violence and even war. So to say that if we don't have conflict, violence, or war, then we have peace. And so there's a big movement to define peace in a way that's not just about the absence of that violence. And so there are many, many examples over time about conflict, violence, and food. And one of the things we talk about in the paper is that it's very easy to find examples in history, but also in present day, that have to do with this conflict narrative and food. And so food being used as power and food being used as control and keeping people from access to food from a conflict conversation or narrative. There's lots and lots of examples of that over time. And so what we're trying to do is to say, how can we have a new conversation? What's the a different narrative? What do we need in order to be having a conversation that has to do with peace as relationship and not peace as the absence of violence? That's really interesting. Before our interview, I was thinking about peace and violence and how that intersected with the food system. I had pulled down the United Nations Human Rights Special Procedures, and there's a whole discussion about violence in food systems. And that particular paper says the right to food is a fundamental and universal human right, and food must be available, accessible, and adequate. So that's how they start out that discussion of violence in the food system. I think about the need to keep people fed so that there isn't an uprising, right? So that there isn't unrest related to the fact that people are hungry. Right. Yeah. So I first became interested in this topic, and this is kind of giving a lot of a backstory to all of this. Where did this idea come from? And it, it is decades old, and I was taking an undergraduate history class when I was in college, 
And it was from the fall of the Roman Empire to the French Revolution in this history class. And for our final exam, we were asked to find a common theme between all of these wars and revolutions. And keep in mind, I wasn't in nutrition at the time. I was in physical education. So it wasn't like food and nutrition was on my mind. And so when I was preparing for the final, I started realizing that, wow, all of these wars, revolutions, you know, the end of the Roman Empire it was related to food and the lack of food and that people ended up revolting because they got hungry. So I wrote my final exam on that. And then I think I got a C plus or a B minus, something like that. And the grade wasn't as bad as the professor's marks at the end of the paper was, no, there is no relationship. I was like, really? So I went to see the professor to ask him why he felt there was no relationship. And he's just, nope, there isn't a relationship. And it really bothered me because, you know, I thought, okay, either there is no relationship and I just misread all of this, or the fact that I really wasn't persuasive in how I had written this final exam. And so I kept asking people for years, if not asking, but kind of bringing this up and finding out if people had any sort of insight to this famine and conflict and war and uprising. And no, no, no. And then it was in about maybe 2005. And I was at Montana State University. And Allison Harmon, who's also a dietitian and does work in food systems. And she was faculty at Montana State at that time, still is. And I mentioned this to her. And she said, yeah, I think you're onto something. And it was the first person who really validated this idea. And so Again, there's a lot of evidence over history, historical data, events about conflict as a result of famine. Oh, absolutely. And think about how the food, say the agricultural lands, for example, have been purposely destroyed to take down the other side. So I absolutely think you're spot on. And how unfortunate that your professor wasn't willing to expand his thinking a little bit, which brings me to a focus of the Peace Studies program, which is systems thinking. And I thought, what a great opportunity to help us think broadly when it comes to food and peace. But just to give us a little intro into systems thinking, can you describe a little bit about what you want our listeners to take away under the umbrella term of systems thinking? Sure. So there's a great resource and website called the Waters Center. Your listeners could go to that uh, website and there's phenomenal resources at that website. And one of the things that they talk about are the 14 habits of a systems thinker. So I can't recite all 14 off the top of my head, but a couple of them have to do with seeks to understand the big picture, makes meaningful connections, understands the unintended consequences. So those are a few of the 14 habits that I think are really key when it comes to thinking about peace, whether that is peace in the context of food or not. But that we're constantly thinking about things from a big picture, not that we're 
losing sight of the details because the details become making those meaningful connections. And then starting to think about, well, if I make this choice, then what are the consequences of that? Or what are the potential unintended consequences? So those are some of the ways in which systems thinking can be applied to peace building. Mm, it's so important. I actually visited the Water Center before our conversation because I was very curious about that whole concept. And I loved the way there was one section that talked about seeing the forest and the trees, right? The big picture and the details. And just being able to understand or get a better idea of what some of the questions might be, because sometimes I think we falter because we don't even know what questions to ask. And I think that's especially true in science. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think that the, that forest is that big picture and then the trees being those details is, you know, if I'll just bring it back to nutrition, that, you know, there are so many details in the science of nutrition that are really important, right? Understanding the nutrients, how much do we need? What are their functions? You know, what are their toxicities or deficiencies? But if we stop at just understanding the nutrients and we don't go any farther into like, how do those function in the food matrix? So like if we take a food apart, and soy is a great example, we take a soybean apart, you know, you, you break it down into its macronutrients and its micronutrients, and then those bioactive compounds like the isoflavones. And so we found in the soy literature that the isoflavones were one of the key players that were helping reduce the LDL concentration. So the, the lipids in the blood that have been associated with some heart diseases. But yet you can't just give those isoflavones to get the benefit. It comes back to you need to eat the isoflavones in the soy matrix in order to get the overall benefit. Right. And that's so true with so many foods. And then taking it a step farther, starting to ask, well, how were those soybeans produced? Who produced them? What were the conditions under which those soybeans were produced? And the larger impact on the environment. So it's the whole systems thinking that I think is so rich for conversations. But Christina, let me take one break and remind our audience that if you are just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. And today we are joined by Dr. Christina Campbell, Associate Professor in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition at Iowa State University in Ames, where her research has certainly focused on traditional nutrition and food and health. But more recently, she has taken it upon herself to broaden our understanding of the relationship between food and peace. And that brings me back to the article that you recently published in our professional nutrition journal, but it has such far-reaching impacts on all of us. And you've got a beautiful graphic that you and your co-author created, and it's called the Food Peace Framework. And I will try to provide a picture of this for our listeners in the show notes. But tell me, this is a circle with concentric circles, and at the very center is peace building. Tell me how you created this image. 
Right. So lots of conversations with a graduate student, for one, and then using some of the literature that has to do with the social determinants of health, but there's also something called determinants of peace. And so we took the different aspects of the literature that had to do with peace and had to do with health and started building out these different layers of this framework. And so the center, as you said, has peace building. And then we have the four pillars that surround it with the environment, political, economic, and social. And then as you move out, you start to get into some other structural, well, I'll call them entities. And uh, But the thing that I think is unique to this framework is the second outer layer. And that is words that describe that we came up with, but we also then heard these words from some of our participants in the study that define peace building. And so I think it's important. We haven't really discussed the definition of peace building. And so we talked about peace, but that can be broken down farther into something called peacekeeping and peace building. And so peacekeeping is sort of, I used to tell my kids whether this was right or wrong, but I would always say, just keep the peace. I didn't want to deal with any of my kids arguing. And so I just like, just keep the peace. And so that's kind of peacekeeping. And the fact that in the context of food, that then we're talking about fulfilling basic means of physical sustenance to avoid or alleviate hunger. And so an example of that might be our emergency food aid, our charitable food system. And so valuable has a role. But if we never move beyond peacekeeping, we haven't really started to work on fixing any of the reasons why people were hungry to begin with. And so peace building really starts to embrace social justice and then it describes food as a human right. And so an example of this might be community food hubs, which start to get the community more involved in the growing and the distribution of food. And so the peace building then in the framework, we start to begin talking about things like sovereignty, sustainability, uh, reciprocity, dignity, respect, and autonomy are some examples. It's a really great framework, and I love the words that you've chosen. I was going to ask you the difference between peacekeeping and peace building, so I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. I want to bring something up, though, from the discussion part of this paper, because I think I personally am so appreciative that you bring it up. And you talk about the charity mindset versus a justice mindset. Can you dive into that as it pertains to the food system? Right, right. So I think, you know, kind of going back to my example with my kids that I just gave as far as the the keeping the peace. And so the charity mindset is more of this, we have to make sure that people are taken care of, like they need food, we've got to give them food. And so that is important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing that, but it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a wound and not really addressing how the wound got there to begin with. And so the justice aspect then starts to look at what are the systems that are in place and how do those systems perhaps need to be 
modified in order to promote autonomy or sovereignty, promote dignity. And so I think that that was a key theme that kind of came out in the conversations, interviews with the participants in the study, that I think many of us, whether we're dietitians or not, but we really are in a peacekeeping mode. As dietitians, we were taught to give recommendations. You have a client, a patient that you're seeing, and the physician has asked you to talk to this patient about some nutrition recommendation, and you as a dietitian are going to give them that recommendation. Whereas perhaps an example, uh, so that might be peacekeeping. We are giving that recommendation to somebody in order to benefit them, to promote their health. But peace building might be more about using motivational interviewing to work with that individual to find out what's going to work for them within their circumstances. And it provides them with more autonomy in that decision-making process. Yeah. So in the study, a lot of examples were given about the perceptions of peace in the food system that really aligned with peacekeeping and that peace building was a whole new way of thinking about our profession. Exactly. Well, I love that you specifically pull out that the peacekeeping is not peace building. And then you talk about food aid in particular, that yes, indeed, it's needed in many situations because of economic and environmental circumstances. Yet these programs that are the peacekeeping, the charity programs, often do not address the root causes of hunger and food security. And I see this sometimes with, say, large corporations that donate funds to the local food banks across the country. But if you go deeper into the corporate practices and you look at some of, say, the political groups that these corporations support, Maybe they're voting against a rise in a living wage, for example, or maybe the employees don't have a living wage to begin with, which forces them to rely on the charity. You know, I I think that there's a disconnect there, and I just love that you're bringing this issue forth. Yeah, I would add, I think it was in 2019 that the World Food Program received the Nobel Peace Prize, and David Beasley was the director at that time. He's since retired. And I heard him speak on Minnesota's version of public radio. And he was talking about the work of the World Food Program because the World Food Program provides a lot of emergency food relief around the world in very dire circumstances. And Yet he mentioned that that's only part of the work that we do and that our goal is to work with communities to provide infrastructure so that they can become self-sufficient or not become, regain their self-sufficiency. And so that was the first time that I'd heard somebody at the global level talking about this difference between food aid and infrastructure, which is peacekeeping and peace building, both really important, particularly in those situations. But if it's only ever peacekeeping, we don't make any changes to the food system. Exactly. 
Well, I was very interested in the particular panel that you are chairing titled Peace Through Food, Empowerment and Community. And I was interested in some of the speakers that are going to be talking about specific issues. One is food sovereignty, which you mentioned, movements and collective action for food peace. You've got another speaker talking about building resilient rural communities through belonging. And then it takes a village to reduce recidivism. So you're bringing in the prison system as well. So this is a broad range of topics under this umbrella of peace through food. Right. And I think that then also demonstrates how systems thinking is crucial in the context of food and peace. Exactly. Okay, we are close to the end of time. I want to give you an opportunity to bring forth anything that you want to make sure we all think about when it comes to food and peace. I think I would go back to where we were at the very beginning of this conversation and that the food piece is really about relationship with food. And so your own personal relationship with food, how food is part of your relationships with other people, whether it's your family or your community. And then the one that really is important to me is the last one about how your food is grown, how your food is produced, what the impact when you buy food and where you buy your food, how that influences your relationship with the planet. And my big driving question has become about how do we connect people with where their food comes from and why that matters. And so I just really, one of the reasons that I love Food Sleuth is that you're working towards that goal as far as how do you connect people with their food and, and the truths of where their food's coming from. But there are many ways in which that connection can be realized. And that to me becomes my big motivation when it comes to talking about food and peace is that the impact of our choices on the planet. Yeah. And that's assuming we have choices. Exactly. That falls under food sovereignty, right? Yeah, exactly. And so those choices become important within your own context. And so that plays out differently for lots of different people in, in many different situations. So I just think that what my choices, my ability to make choices are going to differ from somebody else's in their circumstances. But we all play a role in ultimately the impact that it has on the planet. Absolutely. And I will share the food peace framework. And I want to thank you for helping me think more broadly about how food and peace intersect. I think it's a wonderful way to think about food. We've got to close, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Christina Campbell. She's an associate professor in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition at Iowa State University in Ames, where her research has focused on the impact of diet and exercise habits throughout the life cycle, reducing consumer food waste, and introducing the U.S. food system to her students. Most recently, her focus has been on food and peace, and she is the co-organizer of this year's annual Peace and Justice Studies Association's annual conference, 
I will provide a link to that association as well as some of the other topics that we talked about, such as the Earth Charter, the United Nations piece on violence in food as well. So again, thank you so much, Christina, for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much, Belinda.